Thank you for tuning into the Radicards podcast on Radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and today we have Ryan Daly joining us for an episode where we're going to be talking about the All-Star Game, the Manny Machado, Manny Machado. Is it Machado or Machado? See, I always thought it was Machado. It's Machado, definitely. Why do people pronounce the CH like that in this, in this name? Um, so weird. I can't tell you why, but I, everybody I've ever heard pronounces it. People Machado. always say Brett Favre, too, but everybody knows the V comes before the Sadly. R in his last name. So weird. Anyway, yeah. we're going to be talking about that, and we're going to talk about tops and some current bins on eBay that are super, super high that we'll probably never realize. But hey, we're going to talk about them. And then eBay seller behavior. Ryan, why don't you go ahead and start us off with uh, the All-Star Game highlights? Yeah, so it's pretty cool uh, All-Star week. Um they can be a little dull sometimes. Um, so this was a nice mix up. The, the home run derby was fun to watch and the all-star game was definitely fun to watch. Um, so Bryce Harper, obviously the winner. Um, he had one of the more thrilling runs at the end where I think he hit like five or six bombs in a row to kind of catch up to, uh, Kyle Schwarber and it wasn't looking good for him at the beginning because he was kind of slow and his dad wasn't throwing strikes. <laughs> um, so 19 home runs. I forget how many he had total through the day, but that last round was 19 super impressive and obviously playing in his home ballpark. It's got to make it extra special for him and for the, the Washington nationals fans. Yeah. I, I actually got to watch the uh, recording of him up there hitting and it was really fun to watch and it's interesting to see like his dad is pitching to him how fun is that and they both have like well gnarled beards i think his dad's outperformed his own uh bryce's <laughs> beard his dad's yeah. beard is way gnarlier but um I, I think that was that was really a lot of fun for me to watch and you know it wasn't his first time he'd won the home run derby when he was 11 years old he won the home run derby um so that's really cool to see kind of a retrospective like how he's you know, performed in his life over the course of time. And he's, you know, up for negotiation soon. So um, it was, I think it was great for him to win that at that time. Uh, just a really good kind of a, a end to the, the, the break, if you will. Yeah. And he's, he's had sort of a down year, like in every offensive category, he's just not um, as elite as he usually is. Um, so I hope that this can kind of build some momentum for him and for the nationals who have sort of been eclipsed in the, the NL East by the Phillies and by the, uh, the Atlanta Braves. So hoping this kind of turns the ship around. Um, and like you said, he's up for some contract negotiations, you know, potential free agency, I think in like 2020. So, um, you know, he has to keep up the numbers. He, he, people are saying he could be like the first, you know, $500 million contract because he's so young and talented. Um, so if he wants that, he's got to pick up the pace a little bit. And hopefully this home run derby and this fun week um, of festivities can help him turn that around. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. I mean, I, I hope he's able to uh, realize all the professional goals that he has in baseball um, and and – Obviously, when the contracts that allows him to have more money than he'll ever need in his life, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, speaking of the, the 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 home run derby was really fun to watch. 
and it was fun last year to watch. Kind of leads me to the question, has the Home Run Derby surpassed the All-Star Game as the primary attraction of the Midsummer Classic? I think it really depends. Like, the All-Star Game can just be such a bust, you know? These, just because you put all the best players on the same field doesn't mean it's going to be a good, ga- a good game. Um, whereas the Home Run Derby is sort of designed to be <laughs> like a thrilling event. Mm-hmm. So... I always hope that the all-star game is the better of the two. Um, and I think it kind of was this year in 2018, but that's not always the case. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about the age of instant gratification, like, um, give it, <laughs> give it to me now. <laughs> like that's kind of right. how it is now. Like I, I gotta have this right now. And so, um, the all-star, the all-star game doesn't provide that, but the home run derby does because you have one hit after one hit and you're looking for the same expected result every time i.e the home run and so it's exciting every single time so to me i would get a lot more out of the home run derby than the all-star game but then again you're talking to a guy who when was younger would buy a baseball game for like my playstation or something just to play the home run derby not even to play the game i just wanted to i just wanted to hit baseballs you know and so to me it's it's the home run derby is, I think, um, more entertaining than the All Star Game, and the All Star Game it has merit. Absolutely, I mean, there's great plays to be had, and you know, a lot of home runs and dingers, and you know, I just it's it's fun. It's fun all around. I just to me, I'd rather watch guys yeah. hit baseballs into the stands one after another. So to that point, I've heard some talk um, amongst some baseball writers and bloggers and. Uh, that community of like, why not just let the players use aluminum bats? Like if the whole point is to sort of have this instant gratification and just have a bunch of home runs, like take it to the next level, you know, just let them go out there swinging with a super light, powerful aluminum bat. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a good idea for the players swing or for the rest of their season, but from an entertainment standpoint, um, I can't imagine what it would look like to see, uh, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, those kind of guys get up there with an aluminum bat because you'd be adding, you know, 50, 60 feet to each of those home runs and it would be an insane event to watch. Um, and next year, I'm hoping if Shohei Otani's health keeps up, that's still obviously up in the air. Um, his batting cage sessions before, or not batting cage, but batting practice sessions before each game They've sort of become like this legendary thing. People say he just hits them into the upper deck. The sound off the bat is like nothing you've ever heard before. So he's one guy that I would love to see in the home run derby. And I hope that can happen next year. Yeah. You know, um, I think they should uh, shorten the uh, distance to get a home run just beyond second base. And they should use uh, aluminum bats and if not, (laughs) wiffle balls. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's just take it to the extreme. Come on. I mean, if you're going to make an entertainment value piece out of this, maybe we'll just go for broke, right? Like really just make, just, just like, like, you know, the old cliche, pull out all the stops, right? Like, so yeah, really you should open up all the different words. Don't want to throw a baseball. I want to throw something else. Go right ahead. (laughs) 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 Don't want to use a wooden bat. You want to use an aluminum bat? Not even use a bat at all. Use something entirely different. Go right ahead. You want to use a yeah. uh, a a kitchen pan? Go ahead and use that. Man, talk about entertainment. 
I'd go to see that. No, I mean, I doubt the aluminum bat thing will ever happen. I've, I've heard some people talk about it. I think from a practical standpoint, I mean, there's already concern about what the home run derby does to a player's swing. Yeah. Um, right. And I think if you put a bat that is significantly lighter and more powerful in their hands right. and ask them to go up there and taking a 40-50 hacks at like full power, um, it's going to probably tweak something down the road. So. Well, that's a good point. I mean, it's like if you play piano on a normal grand, right? Then you go and you play it for like, say, six months. You get pretty good at playing on getting used to like how the how the, the keys, you know, how they push down, how they release. And then, you know, for two days after the six months, you play on a, an electric keyboard. Mm-hmm. It's completely different, different for sure. scenario. Just completely different. And then you, if you get used to that, you go back and play piano, it might impede your ability to perform at the same level that you did with the piano prior to investigating the electric, um, the like synthesizer, the keyboard, mm-hmm. okay, just a different arrangement. And I, I, be- I believe that aluminum bat hitting, um, and wood bat hitting in, in, in a, str- in some way are, are similar in that capacity. You get used to using a wooden bat and then all of a sudden you go to this other material, you use it and yeah, sure. It's lighter and faster and whatever else. And then you go back to wood it's because it becomes heavy again and then it might it like impact your performance the next half or whatever. So I personally don't think it's in the best interest of baseball to add Definitely in not. any right. other, any, anything else beyond the norm just to keep them going the rest of the year. I get the understanding of like, make it more entertaining. If you're doing, if you if your goal is to get more home runs here, three or four other ways to get more home runs. But yeah, that comes a limit. like to keep it pure, you know, keep it baseball, keep it home run derby. So cool stuff. I'm glad we got to talk about that. Moving on. uh, Alex Bregman wins the MVP award for the all-star game. Now he's been known to be a clutch performer, right? He's really performed well under high stress situations. Mm -hmm. He proved this in the world series last year. Um, He had a home run on the top of the 10th with the help of George Springer's home run uh, right before him. And so, uh, you know, he's fun to watch and certainly a guy that that, that is uh, passionate about baseball and and you can I can really see that in him, and I can I can appreciate that because having passion uh, just makes you better at whatever you're doing because you don't you don't do it for a paycheck you do it because you love it and the pay just automatically follows behind. Yeah, he's really fun to watch. Um, coincidentally, I actually I passed up on one of his uh, Bowman Chrome Blue Parallels. What I year? The, Which year was it? Um, his big one is. 2012, I want to say. He's on, he's in the USA team jersey. Um, 2010 is the one that it's I'm just, familiar It's one with. of his key rookie cards. 2010, okay, that sounds that sounds right. He looks like he's 12, by the way, on that card. Yeah, I think he is um, 12, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, he still looks re- really young, but right. in that card specifically, he just looks uh, super young. Right. But I passed on that. It was a blue refractor. It was pretty reasonable price. Um but I can't imagine what his cards are going to be doing for the rest of the season, especially considering he's uh, playing for like the best team in baseball. Yeah. Houston Astros probably going to have another playoff berth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's all-star game MVP. So these are all things that affect card prices. And uh, I'll probably never see a blue refractor at the price that I saw just a few days ago, unfortunately. So he was 16 <laughs> on that card. There you go, <laughs> and and may as well be twelve, right? But but that's to me that 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 that's an, an important card, 
because it's essentially his first card in on, on from baseball. Like that's yes. that's the one. Not a rookie year card. It's like a pre rookie year. It's a prospect card. Really mm-hmm. great to have. Uh, all the different color refractors have been surfacing. I saw two red autos earlier this year, um, but I saw a couple oranges come through non-auto. I see a lot of blues, purples, and base refractors surface, so um, you should be able to get one at some point because um, they're they're available. That's a great card to own, by the way. I like that card, even though it is 2010 and not a rookie year card from 2017. I just think that that's that's to me the one I want to get. It'd be nice to get a 2017 card though, just to add it to the mix. Definitely, yeah, both both good cards. Um, US, USA team um, hat and jersey and cards are always kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to see the player so, in their in their uniform. They're like the one that they you know like the Trevor Bauer is a perfect example. Oh, 2010, he's got the USA uniform, and then 2011 Chrome, he's got. He's in his Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks uniform. He looks fantastic. Just such a pro. And so I guess it's just a matter of flavor and taste. Like, what do you like most? Do you like the first card ever shown depicting the player? Or do you like the rookie year card depicting the player in his professional attire? They're still rookie cards. Just one's a pre-rookie card and the other one's a rookie year card. They're still significant mm-hmm. for one reason or another. I like both, but I tend to prefer the rookie year cards because they're shown in their jersey, their uniforms. I just for some reason just appreciate that i think it's cool and yeah because there's totally so much to, there's so much to choose from like you know why not get get one of those that's you know depicting him in his pro gear why not <laughs> anyway uh i digress let's move on here we're talking more about um alex bregman just for a minute um so I guess we're not really moving on at all. Uh, passion. He has a lot of passion for baseball. I guess he's really known for just picking the brains of his colleagues, his teammates, and just other guys he look up to. He looks he looks up to. And I guess during the, the two days of the uh, All Star break, he had a good time talking with some of the superstars like Mike Trout um, and Bryce Harper and those guys. And so um, you can just see when someone's really passionate about something because they're going to want to investigate and get, you know, have a lot of questions and they're just want to get better at whatever they do. So, and he's become better because of it. You know, like naturally you're going to gain all this knowledge. You're going to become better at whatever it is. If you ask enough questions, you will become proficient in whatever that is. And so I, I really like that about Mr. Bregman. He's curious and he's passionate about his craft. So cool stuff. Uh, next on the list, we got Manny, Machado, so weird. I want to say Machado every time. Manny Machado <laughs> goes to the Dodgers. The Dodgers for a trade for like a couple of, I think, what was it five guys? Five guys. Yeah. yeah, five dudes that I'd never even heard of. I looked at the list. I was like, who are these guys? Me neither. Yeah, never heard of them. <laughs> I figure with five people, at least one of them's gonna have an impact on the Orioles. Um, I think so. They got they got who do they got? They got Adam Jones, Mark Trumbo, and Chris Davis. Is that right? I guess you got Chris Davis. He's been pretty atrocious this year. But, so um, he's had a hard time. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a dumpster fired out there in Baltimore, um, which is so odd. Just because a couple of years ago they were contending, um, but you know, no pitching, offense kind of took a downward spiral and they just moved their best piece, um, which is what you do, I guess, when you're in that situation and you get back five guys and hopefully develop in, into the future for Baltimore baseball. 
Um, but like I said, and like you said, I've never heard of those guys. Um, I know nothing about them. Um, I don't follow the prospect game too much, but usually if, you know, I, if it's like a top 20 prospect, I, the name kind of rings out in my head a little bit. Right. Um, and these guys, I just, I read each name and I was like, who, who, who? <laughs> it's like that scene on major league with the construction workers reading the, the roster for the Indians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. state it. If you've seen the movie, you know, the scene, if you haven't do yourself a favor and go watch it. It's a great movie. Um, you know, the Orioles, I guess they're like, you know, we should focus on quantity over quality. Just get a bunch of whatever and see if we can develop somebody into another Manny Machado or Machado or Machado. <laughs> well, it was certainly a, um, a seller's market for Machado specifically. So I'm sure the Dodgers sort of had to step up their offer a little bit right. and instead of sending, you know, a top 10 prospect plus two other guys they just had to send. Right. But I mean, I think, I think with the Dodgers doing that, it cleans house a little bit, you know, saves up some, I mean, I guess they could take all the salaries that they dumped into the five guys and throw it into Manny Machado. But whatever the case is, it, it sort of cleans the roster a little bit, you know, scrubs the roster a bit. And I think that that's, I guess, important for the Dodgers, you know, to, to let go five guys that maybe not be producers for one guy that they hope to continue to be producers. I mean, Manny Machado is still pretty young. And so he is. he's got yeah. a lot of good years ahead of him if he can keep up as, as a performer. And I, I'm confident that he's able to do that. But the Dodgers need to not only focus on picking up guys like Machado, they need to figure out what they're going to do in the next couple of years as their key pitching roster falls off. Kershaw's up for negotiation in 21. Rich Hill's up for negotiation in 2020. Canley Jensen, 2022. So it's what's going to happen. I mean, are we going to put all our, our money in Stripling and Bueller? I mean, this is, these, I think about this. Yeah, they've, they've got a, precarious situation and just to go back to Machado really quickly the Dodgers had an obvious need at shortstop once Corey Seager went down with a season ending ending injury and so the Machado deal made sense but Corey Seager's going to come back and he's younger than Machado and he's mm. very talented um, so I I don't know if the Dodgers if their end game is to eventually sign Manny Machado to a long-term deal. They have, the Dodgers already have two studs at third base and shortstop, and those are the positions that Machado plays. Um, they have Justin Turner and Corey Seager, so they're going to have to trade one of those guys and sign Machado, or they're just going to let Machado walk to free agency at the end of the year. And this whole trade is just going to essentially be a rental, which makes sense. I mean, he'll be a great guy to make a playoff push with. Um, but... You know, this sort of leads into the pitching situation of um, thinking about long-term contracts. Do you want to ink Machado and then limit your finances when it comes to picking up pitching via free agency? Um, you know, the guys that you mentioned, Kershaw, Rich Hill, Kenley Jansen, those have sort of been like the cornerstones of the, the Dodgers staff over the past two, three years. Um, so losing them is that's a huge deal and it's yeah I, I expect something else to happen with the Dodgers um something big to happen with the Dodgers in the offseason for sure because they've got a lot of money up in the air 
They've got sort of redundancies at positions now with Machado. Um, so I'm curious to see what they're going to do. Yeah, well, it's like one company acquiring another is that you have to incorporate the current employees in some way, and you're going to have redundancies. You're going to have to lay off some guys. If company one had a COO and company two, the acquired company one, has a COO, guess who's <laughs> going to get the nicks on that one? The acquiree yeah. COO is going to be like, sorry, dude, we don't need two COOs. Good luck. You know, that's they're going to have to figure out how to work that in. What's that going to look like? You know, um, I don't know. I, I'm a confident. I think it's going to be a good mix for uh, the Dodgers. I just I, I look forward to seeing what comes down the line for their pitching roster, because although they've got two new prospects or two new guys that are performing now, I, there's going to be they're gonna, there's going to be uh, a need for some backup. You know, and so, um, in any case, I think it's a it's a good thing that they did that quickly. And that's you know we're going to talk about this is like the importance of inking a deal fast because if you think on it, you know, um, company A that has this product up for availability, and you're thinking they might be shopping around while you're thinking this happens in cards all the time. People come to me and say, "Hey, Patrick, I got this Frank Thomas card." You know, and I ask, you know, we look at negotiations and, and I say, hey, I need, you know, some time, but I, I'm, I'm interested. Like, okay. And I might circle back with them in like two months. And like, oh, yeah, I sold it to somebody else. This happens all the time. I mean, why wait when you've got another offer for maybe at, right now from somebody else, same price or better? You don't have to wait mm-hmm. for it. So I, I, I get that. I understand it. And I appreciate it. I respect it. I just think it's important to act fast and um, make decisions quickly when it comes down to um, uh, the acquisition of something that could potentially give you uh, very strong returns. Um, and if you don't see it again, you're like, how rare is a Manny Machado acquisition? You know, how rare is a Manny Machado? Am I going to see this again? How can this help us get to the postseason? Like these are the other questions I'd be thinking of if I was if I were if I were the Dodgers. And I'm glad that they were able to ink this deal fast because I know it was sort of kind of in talks for the last little while uh several days as they were getting physicals done from the guys they were considering to trade and i'm glad that things worked out and they were able to close this deal fast but i kind of worry about the orioles because i'm like what's gonna i mean i just gosh they they're really having a hard time with keeping their all-star talent on the roster it's just too bad to see that now i mean is mark trumbo going to be able to carry this team you know is adam jones going to be able to carry this team who else do they have? I looked at the 2018 roster. I just didn't see. I don't recognize any of the names outside of those two guys. And there's mm-hmm. like, there's, um, uh, who's the other guy that I was talking about earlier that's not doing very well? Chris, Chris Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's not doing well this 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 year. And so who are they going to pick up to try to fill that shortstop role? I mean, I, is it? It's like kind of a bad time to be an Orioles fan right now, you know. Yeah, it's going to be rough the next couple of years. Um, I don't know if they're going to go into a full-blown rebuilding process um, or if they're just going to stay the course and try and develop the talent they have. It's it's hard to say. And Baltimore is such a great baseball city. Camden Yards is like a legendary stadium. So it's it's hard to see the team that plays there just sort of wallow away and uh hopefully the future is bright for them um it's a really tough division that they're in also like even if they go out and they make signings and they you know they have a good minor league system and they promote guys from the triple a team you still have to go up against the yankees and the red sox like 
every season constantly. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really rough position to be in. It's really hard to just kind of tank in the AL East because that's like one of the most competitive divisions in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a good place to be for the Orioles. And it's, it's my hope they are able to clean up their act sooner than later for their sake. Um, you know, don't want to turn into a kind of a forgotten team that's like, wait, when did they reach the postseason last? I like, can't remember. <laughs> you know, like, I hope they're able to clean that up sooner than later. Glad we got to talk about baseball today because I always enjoy it. And it's fun to reminisce about things associated with baseball. So good stuff. Uh, moving on here, let's talk about Tops for a minute. You know, they did something interesting recently. They went ahead and moved the creative process or the creative direction over to the players and the celebrities or whoever they're inking at the time. So what this means is that the players and those individuals, they have a say over like card design and, you know, um, the total out, the, the, the outcome, the product, the final product. I thought that was a very smart way to incorporate the baseball players into uh, hobby production. What do you think mm -hmm. about that? I think it's a, a cool idea. Um, obviously, no one's seen what the end result is going to look like, um, but it's uh, it's it's a cool pattern I've noticed from Tops in the past couple years, especially this year in 2018, and just being aggressive in their innovative ways to um, get product out there. They had the tops, the tops now set, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and the handing this creative direction over to the players, I mean, it's going to create some interesting products. Um, and I'm sure the players themselves have a lot of insight and ideas that, you know, the tops executives and the tops creative team maybe have never thought of. Um, so I'm excited about it. And I actually wasn't aware of it until you brought this to my attention. So um, I'm extra excited about it now. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so so here's the thing that I think would be funny. What if one of the players comes and be like, you know what, Tops, I'm glad you incorporated me into this product and I'm glad I'm making decisions. I really like the way Panini designs their cards. <laughs> and I don't want to see team logos on my card. Is that okay? Like I really like the way that Panini does their Donruss line. Can we make something look like that? Like that, how interesting would it be if like a, a, a like a mutt result would happen that looks like, hey, that kind of looks like elite, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's certainly a, a risk to take because you don't want to offer this opportunity to like a, a big name player and then just have them come up with some stupid idea and then have to shoot them down and say, no, we're not going to do that. So that's the other piece um, of it too, is it so, like, do you say no if a player is like, well, it's my decision or doing the Panini thing, right? I want yeah. this car to look like a leaf super fractor or, you know, can we do the hits memorabilia design? Like, is that okay? Can we like try to copy that in some way? I mean, I, I think about this. What are some sticky situations you can get yourself in when you invite other people to manage your brand for you? Like I look at that too. Is, is it like, Hey, so here's Radicards. cards. I want you to produce something like a, a podcast. Like how, people will ride with it and create something. And what you risk is crippling your current brand image because it's, like someone butchered it in some way. I mean, I don't know what kind of limitations, what do the parameters look like for the players? Hey, you can do X, Y, and Z, 
but you can't do A, B, and C. It's almost like have you ever seen that movie The Jerk with Steve Martin that came out in like nineteen like the mid to late seventies? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know the scene where he's a uh, he's working at the circus as one of the guys, it's like, you guess your weight, you know? And the guy gets up, he's like, Yeah, guess my weight. And he's and, and then the guy asks, like, what do I win? And he looks behind him and like this whole wall of just garbage essentially. He's like, Well, anything between in this shelf here, from this <laughs> From this to here, from the Pez dispensers to the G.I. Joes, but not including the, you know, <laughs> like this two <laughs> inches here from these two things. Like, is it going to be like that limiting with the like tops allowing the the players to have some creative direction? You know, is it like where are the players going to sit back and be like, why am I even here? <laughs> you know, am I just here yeah. to have sign autographs or really why am I here? So this is like the kind of the kind of thing I think about. It's it's definitely a cool idea, and I look forward to seeing what the, the product actually is. But w- what I hope Tops is doing is they come at the player with, like, a, a basic idea, like an outline or a framework of what they want. Mm. And then they let the, the players fill in the little details here and there. Um, or, or, so, or, and hear me out, is it the other <laughs> way around? Yeah, maybe it's like a blank slate for them. I have no idea. It's like they're going to hand off the, the creative direction to the player. The player is going to draft something, give it back to Tops. Tops is going to create what they thought the player wanted. And the player is going to oh. be like, eh, it's okay. You're going to pan me anyway. What do I care? Like, I, what is it really going to look like? Like, if I were an employee by, with Tops and I was going through this with a player, I'm curious to know what that process would look like, you know? Or is it just the shuffling around emails back and forth for like a you know 48-hour period? Ugh, I hope not. <laughs> That's essentially what most business is, though. Just email shuffle for like 40 years and then you retire. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, go back to it here. Um, uh, to- I think that's a really interesting thing that Tops is doing. And I'm, 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 I am curious to see what the end product is going to look like. It's coming out this year, right? Isn't that what the little video blurb they had on their website? It says I coming it said soon. Is it, is it this coming year? Soon. Okay. So. Yeah. I, I thought don't know it said coming soon, 2018, but I might be making that up. I don't know. Yeah, you might be making that up. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine it's that far out. Regardless, I mean, though. it's. Oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, good stuff. I'm, that's a that's a that's a cool video they made, and it's cool to see that like, corporation of pro ball players having a say in what their cards are going to look like. You know, part of me thinks like, why didn't they start doing this earlier on? You know, like that's a piece of me sort of thought that like. Wouldn't it be nice to know if you're a pro ball player to know what cards have been depicting you? Granted, it's kind of hard to keep track when you got like ten and twenty thousand different cards over the course of twenty year career. But you know, I guess mm-hmm. you could just go out and start PCing yourself. <laughs> um, let's talk about current bins in the market right now. You might be aware of these three auctions. These are pretty significant. Uh, starting off lightly here, we'll start off with the lowest valued or the lowest asking price. We'll move forward. Let's get ready. Jump right in. 2012 Bowman Sterling Autograph Superfractor Harper Trout One of One. Really interesting card. This surfaced last year or the year before. I don't remember when it was. It was available at some previous point in time. Right now, it's available again for a cool one hundred thousand dollars. Hundred K. Amazing deal. Hop Super, dude, 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 such <laughs> a good deal. See, the thing is, I don't know really where it would end if it were at market. At market, like just list mm-hmm. the nine cent and let the market ride. Where do you think it would end? Uh, this, it's hard to say. I mean, not a hundred k. I can tell you that much. 
I, yeah, that's what if I it did. Thinking. It would have already sold, right? Yeah, I would have. That would be a really fun auction to watch. Um, it's not a trout rookie. It's a Harper rookie. And it's not even technically a rookie. It's an insert card. Those are sort of on right. the fence, right? So um, that's a great card regardless. I just think it's going to be a really nice, fun watch auction to watch into perpetuity because I think it's going to be up. If it's listed and it stays unsold, we'll just get to enjoy looking at it for a while. That's a good one. Next up, the 2010 Bowman Platinum Auto Super Fractor Mike Trout. Currently listed for 127000 Thoughts, mm. comments, concerns? Hmm. That's another one. If it was at auction, I don't know if it would hit that 127k mark. Might go for half that, though. Yeah. Even that though, like I said, beyond forty-five k, like I am, I'm just like reticent to believe it's gonna move. I mean, it's Bowman Chrome. That's that's the stuff to really. That's the stuff that really goes for crazy right. money. Yeah, Platinum and Sterling are great products, and over the years they've had some awesome rookie kind of first year cards. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're gonna drop that kind of money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, I mean, go after the Chrome releases, um, because those are just so much more significant historically and from a hobby perspective. Um, I mean, it's it's sort of a no-brainer from my point of view. Now, granted, the, the two cards we've talked about so far are beautiful cards, um, obviously amazing players um, on those cards. But like I said, for that price point, just go after something that's um, a little more significant when it comes to collecting. Yeah, I mean, most of us can't afford this next card we're going to talk about but i will say you know sort of a chime in on on as an echo that, that the, the chrome line of bowman vastly outperforms its sort of sister arms of sterling and platinum you know, tops kind of goes berserk when they produce a product they'll like try to you know uh, let another product ride on its fishtails like it's 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 coattails um that and hopefully bring in some more cash and it does but i think that that you know it never beats the best, right? The Bowman Chrome is always the tops. Right. By design, it's usually a little bit more attractive. You know, it's just a little bit, it's, a little bit, it's always more valuable, it seems. Um, so 127000 for that. It's a beautiful card. It's gorgeous. But I think we're going to enjoy that scan for a long time without seeing a sale. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we had, you know, uh, Vegas Dave pay $400,000 for the... Uh, 09 chrome super fractor trout auto so but guys like that are one in a bazillion so it's like there's only one vegas dave you know who's behind him paying that kind of cash i don't think there is anybody i just don't think there is but moving on kind of brings us into this next card 2011 bowman chrome rookie auto super fractor price harper now this card's been listed for a while it's been a talking point for a long time now several months half a mil that's right 500k Great card, great card, fantastic card. Not even a rookie year card, by the way. He didn't come up until 2012. And he has a card. He has cards in, you know, upper deck products pre-2010. And he's got the Bowman Chrome card from 2010 that features him in the USA uniform. And now he's got the, uh, in 2011, it showcases him in Nationals attire. So I like the card. But again, it's one of those scans you'll just be able to enjoy for a long time. But I wonder if it sold at auction, 
Mm. Where do you think it'll end? Once again, not at that asking price. No, no, no. Um, of course not. Because if it were, it would have already sold. Yeah, yeah. It would have sold. Oh, geez. You think it'd I reach a hundred thousand though? Seriously? No, I don't. I don't think so. You don't think it'd I even mean, go to a hundred thousand? No. Do you? Honestly, I have a hard time accepting a six-figure end price for any any modern card. You know, I I just I just have a hard time believing that any modern card has that kind of teeth. I mean, even if the Otani Superfractor was pulled a month before his debut, I don't even know if it would have gone to the hundred k. I know we had the bounties, we had a lot of talk. You know, there's a lot of chatter about it, six-figure mark, but I, I honestly don't know if a single modern card can bring. Now, I will say this. The PSA 10 Jeter SP rookie that sold for like $90,000 recently, like that's an anomaly. But like a card over the past like 10 years, I, I don't, I don't know if, I, don't, I just don't see a six figure ask, end price. Yeah. It's, um, these are huge numbers yeah. and we're going to sort of get into this on our next point. But I mean, if you were going to take, let's say $127,000, for example, which is what this guy wants for the uh, Trout Superfractor mm-hmm. from 2010. What if you were to put that money into Mantle cards or into Griffey, uh, like rare 90s stuff? You know, these are bona fide players, uh, bona fide products. Um, you know, Harper and Trout are great. They're kind of once-in-a-lifetime talents, but they could still go out there and break their leg tomorrow. They're still in the middle of their careers. Um, so to your point, it's it's really hard to fathom spending this kind of money on modern players that still need to finish out their career, you know, win World Series, get into the Hall of Fame, all the stuff that makes their cards sort of priceless in a way. Um, so like if it were me and I had that kind of money to spend on, on baseball cards, I would focus on vintage or, um, you know, players that are already in the hall. They've already accomplished everything. Well, even if I had that kind of money, I still wouldn't be able to afford the uh, 1990 Fleer Jose Arribia. <laughs> <laughs> That's still. true. Nobody has that kind of money. Not even Vegas Dave. Right. asking price. I mean, it's almost become like a joke now, right? Like, it's always been a joke, really. Actually, it's not almost become... It is a joke. That a Jose Uribe 1990 Fleer asking price is over a half a million dollars. We're talking about a card that was printed in the trillions. I mean, there's no end to the number of copies of this card out there. Not zero. So I think that this cutesy little trend was created. Now it's just like become like a mockery. Um, yeah, it's, 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 un, it's incredible that it's sort of caught on like viral like that. But yeah, uh, some would argue that Mike Trout is mimicking Mickey Mantle numbers. So really in some strange way, buying Mike Trout cards is a lot like buying Mickey Mantle cards. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not saying Mike Trout's going to fade out anytime soon. I mean, odds are he's going to go on to be one of the best that ever played the game, but, um, you know, he's still playing. He's probably got another 10, 15 years under his belt. So anything can happen. Um, yeah. And baseball can be a dangerous sport. And, you know, 
it's just kind of hard to say. And the the vintage stuff is such a sure sure bet. I mean, it's, it's expensive, but if we're talking this kind of money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, like I would definitely put my money in the in the bona fide Hall of Fame type players. I guess it comes down to what's your end goal, right? Are you looking to yeah, turn that's it around? True. I mean, if you want trout, then fine, go for it. Are you looking to turn it around and make a profit? If that's your case, then you know you might invest your money elsewhere. If not, you just like cards and you just want this card and hundred Ks or five hundred K is nothing, then buy the card. I I understand the point of like you could put that money toward this, but everybody's different. You know, everybody right everybody's going to put their money ultimately to where they find the most value for them. To me, I think commodities are a giant waste of money, but everybody's different. You know, people go out, like to go out to bars on the weekends and spend 60, 80 bucks on Uber drives and whatever. So you've got this kind of like horrible investment that doesn't bring any value whatsoever, but people love doing it. Who am I to say what's better or worse? They like the experience of going out. I happen to not care one way or the other. And I'd rather put my money toward rare baseball cards. And mm-hmm. they might think like, why do you, what's this a geeky ha- you know, hobby? Why do you bother with that? I mean, I've had that. People like criticize me over that piece of it, but it just comes down to like, what's your goal? Like, what do you, what do you want to get out of your money? Mm-hmm. So we talk about this, like when you buy, what's your intention? What's your goal? Is your goal to turn around and sell it for a profit? I see this on eBay all the time and they don't they're just ruthless they won't even wait for a time for the previous auction to like drop off of ebay completed sold listings they'll just relist immediately over the last month i've seen several cards purchased at a price one of ones by the way super fractors Mm -hmm. red borders and then immediately relisted that day they'll just take like the watermark off of the bottom of the image and just repost that same image and they'll want like three times what they paid for the card to me, that's really um, unproductive because the market's already bare what you know it, it, it's willing to pay for that one-of-one one card. A one-of-one one is a poor realist investment decision because the market's already told you what they're willing to pay for that one card. So if you expect to get more, you're sort of like kind of wasting your time. Right. You know? Unless the player, you know, does something fantastic on the field, then all of a sudden that card's worth more than what you paid for it. Sure. But if the player is essentially performing the same way as when you bought it, it's a one of one, it would be illogical to expect to get more than much more than what you've what you've got into it. Mm-hmm. It just honestly like you paid one fifty for a super fractor auction style, the market's told you they're willing to pay one fifty, now you relist it. Let me tell you something. If you relist it higher than what you paid for it, that would be illogical because now that you own it and you're not willing to pay for it again, the next guy below you is willing to pay less. So in fact, the card is actually worth less than what you paid for it. Right. So there's one less person in the market bidding on the item. And so when I see yeah. this, I'm like, what's the point of this? You know, like someone paid like $12 for this. And now they want 70. If someone, you know, see a, like a, a card that, that I, you know, I talked about this on my um, latest editor's choice, the June list is that this guy's card sold for five fifty as an offer. And the winner turns around and puts it back on eBay for 2,290 bucks. I'm like, dude, five fifty. Like, I mean, I, I just, I feel like 
that situation is really it's very ostentatious to me like it's it's like there have been many instances uh, an orange bordered uh, steven strasberg auto to 25 a guy buys it for 380 turns it around and lists it for 800 dollars. right like immediately immediately that same day i'm like this is crazy another instance uh 97 finest embossed refractor the gold of frank thomas bgs 95 auction style sold for about 525 guy immediately turns around and wants five grand for it <laughs> it's just like makes total sense like 10 times as much i even sent this guy a message i was like can you help me understand why you just paid 525 for this now you're asking 10 times he didn't respond no i'm sure he did i mean i just feel like I don't want to be a jerk, but I sometimes I'm curious what the logic looks like with relisting at these crazy bin prices. Now I can see this. You buy the card, wait for a year and then relist it at some price where people forgotten what it sold for previously. That way it's not so obvious, right? It's a little bit more subtle. Then it might make more sense, but at the same time, it's still gouging. I still think it's price gouging. Yeah. I mean this, this aspect of the hobby is certainly, kind of unsavory and I don't like it. I know you don't like it. I'm sure there are tons of other people that don't like it, but, um, it's one of the reasons why I follow, um, blogs like Radicards and, um, talk to people like you that are much more up to snuff on the eBay game than I am. Um, cause there's been times in the past where I've sent you a card that I'm interested in and you're like, Oh yeah, that card sold a couple months ago for this price. And, we sort of have a discussion about like what the current price is versus what they, what the seller actually, what the, uh, yeah, what the current seller actually paid for it. So you really have to be aware of, um, the kind of purchase history and it's, it can be hard to track down. Um, but if you're on top of your stuff and you kind of read the right resources online, you can, you can track what a certain card has been selling for. Yeah, I um I, I keep pretty close tabs on eBay daily, uh, because as a collector and as a blogger, as a market researcher, as you know, curiosity of of kind of getting a pulse on what's doing what. Um, I'm always doing that. It's fun for me, but I also just am curious to see what's available, and I see this kind of behavior often, and I've seen a lot more lately, and it's like. I get it. The collectibles market's going to attract the kind of people that are just looking for a quick buck. You know, it's why like Operation Bullpen was a problem. It's why like I think it's the FBI has a whole sports memorabilia like department that's inundated constantly with stuff. So I, I get why I see this as often as I search eBay. I just every single time it's frustrating as 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 much as the last time. I'm like man, that's too bad. That's preventing somebody else from owning it at the price that is, is market realized. Like if you want to make a profit, I, I'm all for it. Like, fine. Just don't do it so obviously, <laughs> you know, like at least, at least put some effort into trying to be subtle about it, you know, so that we're not making it, you know, you, you, we're not seeing you as like this guy who's just trying to, you know, shark the market. Yeah. And it happens a lot with the prospects and kind of the younger, more modern players. Yeah. It does um, happen a lot. So it's if you if you're sort of in the market for that kind of stuff, I would just be keenly aware of who you're buying from and to the best of your ability, try and research that specific card because if it was sold for significantly less a month ago and you're looking at it now and it's way higher, you know, think to yourself, 
why is that? <laughs> um, do I really need to pay this much for this card? Are there other options? You know, all these things you need to take into consideration. Yeah, and I think there's some, there's some, you know, learning the lessons here is that, is that if it's not a one of one, just be patient and wait for the next one to come around. There you go. You know, if it is a one of one, well, you know, in my experience, and I've, I've bought from the bot, the guy who relisted and wanted a profit, but the way I go to, about it is try to build a relationship with the seller. You know, like don't take it personally, don't give the seller a hard time, just approach them like they're anybody else who has a card you want. It's like, hey, you know, what are you expecting? You know, what are you looking to get for the card? And you got a bin, an uh, OBO option there. Like, like I know you paid this much for it. Uh, and I, I definitely respect that you want to make a profit. You know, can we meet somewhere in a place that sort of makes sense to both of us so that you make a profit and I get the card? Um, that's kind of the way I've started and built relationships with the guys. And I've built relationships with a lot of sellers like that. You know, I, I respect you trying to profit from something like it's dude, it's capitalism, you know, free market economy. I totally get it and I respect it. Um, I just look at it from a place too of like, how do we benefit both of us from this scenario? Like they want to make a profit. I want to buy the card. How can we get this done? Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's going to end with that. Ryan, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I am very much looking forward to the second half of the baseball season. The, the all-star break is, is always fun, but because it's all um, these kind of events that don't have a lot of real implications, it's yeah. uh, it always leaves me yearning for, for more real baseball. So I guess my final thought would be uh, really looking forward to the second half. Um, Machado in the Dodgers uniform, that's going to be – certainly the top of my list to to watch and it's going to be a fun season it's already been a fun season and i you know playoffs world series i mean it's it's going to be awesome yeah it's gonna be fun it's been a fun half i haven't really watched any of it i've just been reading highlights but um i do appreciate what's been happening and i'm trying to keep up as much as i can and we'll hopefully see some more great action over the next couple of months so Thanks for uh, joining us on this podcast, Mr. Ryan Daly. Appreciate that, bud. Sure. Thank Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for tuning in to the Rad Cards podcast on radcards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting. <laughs>